0: All right. Good morning again. We've got little ones going in a different place today. That was the a little slower than normal. So, um and and welcome to the new youth people that are in here, you know. Um welcome to the the joy of listening to us, but we're glad that you're here. Um if you have your bibles turn to Romans um, we spent all summer, we, well, we can go back further than that, we spent um, last spring looking at who Jesus was based on Luke's account through the Gospel of Luke and what he wrote for us in Acts, and and, and so basically who, who Jesus was by his interactions that Luke's given us, and then how the early church taught about Jesus, and then we went all the way back to the beginning and, and looked at Abraham and looked at God's covenant with his People there, and how he called Abraham out of his land and made him um, the father of a nation, and ultimately looking to Christ, and he is our that we are spiritual descendants of Abraham through Christ, and that he was the ultimate culmination of that promise that was given to Abraham. And then now we're, we're kind of going into what's arguably the most popular, the most influential book that we have of Scripture, and and. At some level, it's, it's hard to, to deal with Romans because there's so much that you could spend. And there's been people, I think Martin Lloyd-Jones spent seven years preaching just through the book of Romans. And so don't worry, we're not headed that direction. Like, I can't even believe it. We're like a three-year-old church. He did that twice. You know, I'm like, that's crazy. But it's really good stuff if you ever listen to it. And he's British, so it just helps. But um, I don't have the accent to draw you in like you did, so um, I could try, but then it would just be bad. But um, our, our plan is to spend about 47 or so weeks in, in Romans broken up, and, and I just want to explain that to you so you know what kind of you're getting into. Um, we're going to break it up and kind of trick you into thinking that, that we're not in it as long because we're going to focus on different aspects. And, and so you can see with the new the art, this is part one of five and, and really, the book is broken out in that way when we look at what's happening um, in this. And so today, we're going to be dealing with the first seven verses and so um, of chapter 1. So if you will follow along, we'll read these, and then we'll, we'll get into and, and, and look deeper into this greeting that Paul gives us to his letter. And so in Romans 1, chapter 1, it says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. Who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you will pray with me as we ask the the, the Spirit just to guide us through our time today. Father God, we thank you that you've given us your truth. God, I just pray that the fact that we can hold and read your powerful word would never. Leave us. God, that the magnitude of hearing your words would captivate us, it would shape us, would change us. God, I just pray that as we look at just a simple greeting, God, that that your spirit would move mightily as we look at who Jesus Christ is. And we just thank you that, that you love us. And we just pray that we would do everything for your glory and for the spread of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so as we look at this greeting, the, the question I want you looking at and, and what we're kind of foc- focusing on is this, ask yourself, what is the foundation that your life is set on? Or, or what is the foundation that gives you hope? What gives you meaning, identity, purpose, value? What is the, the bedrock of that? What is that foundation of your life? All of those characteristics, what is the foundation of that that is built on. Because when we look at Paul's letter to Romans, and, and we need to understand some context and what's happening. There had been major persecution of the church in Rome. All the Jews had been sent out, and, and he's writing, and so there, there's talk, is he writing to this, this group of people that's now predominantly Gentiles, and maybe some Jews are coming back in, because when we get into chapter 15, toward the end of this we see that there's been some conflict here and maybe the gentiles are now looking down on the jews and there was some some conflict but he's giving us this amazing theology a lot of times people consider it just a systematic theology of what paul believed but he's giving them the foundation of where to find their identity as christians and and he's writing this for a purpose. He's wanting to go there because he's wanting to go further. If you've one thing that you see with Paul over and over again, not just in Romans, is that he's he's focuses on all the nations, like everywhere that the gospel is to be proclaimed, that he's to go and do that. That's what's his calling that we see. And so when we look at this greeting, we see the foundation of who Paul was. It's a, it's a normal, typical greeting of ancient letters. It wasn't anything special as far as structure, but we see who he is even from the very beginning. What motivated him, what the foundation that he was claiming his authority was on. And so when we look at that, we realize that, that he was a slave in that, that, that he was then set apart as a slave, but ultimately he was settled on this message that he had been given. And, and when we look at those aspects, we'll see that we too can have that same foundation to live our lives, to proclaim the truth, to go where we're supposed to go. And so the, the first thing we'll look at is, is basically the Paul, as a slave, when you, when you look at that first verse, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Okay, and so real fast, look at who Paul was. If you know the, the story, Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus. Paul was unique because he actually had three names because he was a Roman citizen. That had a name and he had a Hebrew name, he had a Greek name, so it was kind of crazy. It on who you were going to talk to and stuff like that. But we know him as Paul. Now he was from Tarsus. And what's interesting about Tarsus, and it helps understand the way he presents himself here, is Tarsus was known for education. And, and in fact, there's a, there was a Roman geographer, I forgot his name, I was talking to Josh earlier. I can't remember the guy's name because I didn't write it down. But one of the, the, the geographers of the Roman era had placed Tarsus above Athens and Alexandria as far as education. So if you've ever studied anything about antiquity, Athens and Alexandria, they were the places of learning. And this guy's saying, no, Tarsus had surpassed them. And so we see that he would have then been educated because he was wealthy. We know who he was, so he's educated. And then he ultimately went to Jerusalem and he was educated by the best and one of the most well-known scribes there, Gamaliel. And so it's like he had the best education possible, best secular education, best religious education, if you want to split it up. But that's who he was. And so when we look at this, beginning he immediately connects himself with those who he was going to listen because even today if you've known people that have advanced degrees they have a tendency in in education and higher education people with advanced degrees have a tendency to look down on people that don't have that right it's like i've gained these three letters by my name and so you need to respect that and and so paul easily could have had that same thing he was he was educated he was he was a roman citizen he was above them and so what he's doing here is he's saying, no, I'm a slave to that. And, and, and most of your translations might say servant. The word there, Greek, is doulos. It's actually better to translate that slave than servant because it gives us a better idea of what. If you, if you look at the dictionary and you have two versions, two definitions, slave is usually listed first. And then we have servant. And so in our mind, as we start looking to this, this foundation that Paul has, it's better to understand that he's a, he considers himself a slave, Leon Morris says that, that by saying this, that Paul is affirming that he belongs to Christ without reservation. Because if it was a servant, there's some aspect of servant, and you might think this too, there's some aspects of servants that you can come and go, right? Like that, that I, I think of it when I was with my granddad growing up and I would help him do stuff and basically I'd mess things up and he had to fix it again. But, but there was this idea that if I got tired, I would just go inside, right? Right? I, I didn't have to stay there. And so I, w- I was helping him as a servant, if you will, coming alongside him. And that's not what Paul's saying. No, Paul was completely without reservation, sold out to Jesus Christ. He was a slave to Christ. And by a slave, that meant he had a master. If you're a servant, you have equals. But a slave, they have someone that they're, there's a Lord over them. And we need to come to that realization when we look at this letter that that's where Paul was going with that. He's putting himself... On the same, as, same level as everyone else. The, the, as Christians, we're under Christ. We're subordinate to him. We're submissive to his will. And Paul's saying, Paul, a servant, a slave of Christ Jesus. And it's interesting here, if you just look at the way he writes that Christ Jesus. If you've ever wondered when we call Christ Jesus Christ, we just say Christ. It's actually Paul that was the one that sets that up more than anyone else. That it's not, it, it, it's like a name to him. It's not just a title. It's not Messiah. It's a title. It's, it's a name. That's who he was. It wasn't just something that was added to him. That was who he was. He was Messiah. He was Christ. And so if you ever hear of that, and, we, and you just hear people say Christ, and you know it's Jesus, that, that's, that's stemming from Paul's letters. More than anyone else, Paul attributed that to Jesus, attributed that to Christ, that this is what we can call him. This is who he is not a title, it was him. And so it was complete devotion. He didn't just come and go, he was completely submissive to that. And so if we wanna bring that into our lives now and wanna apply that to the foundation that we're building on is that we should realize that, that if Christ is the proper foundation, which he is, then we should be completely submissive to what he's called us to. That as Christians, we should be a slave to Christ. Not merely a servant that picks and chooses, that comes and goes when it fits us. Because a slave immediately responds when the master over them calls. And so Paul was a slave to this. He's setting himself up. He's saying, from the very beginning, I am just like you. I'm a slave to Christ. I'm not advanced because of my education, even though they most likely would have known by this point. He's like, I'm not set apart from that. I'm just like you. I'm a slave of Christ. And so the easy thing to bring that to us is that, that to ask yourself, are you are you a do you consider yourself a servant of Christ? Like if you believe and you've heard that, you've accepted it, are you just merely a servant? That you can kind of come and go, you can pick and choose when you follow him, are you completely captivated by Christ that you're so much that you would be considered a slave to that? That when he calls, you go. That what he commands, you don't consider, you just do because that's what Paul's saying from the very and we when we dive deep into the theology that comes later in Romans we have to always understand that Paul considered himself a slave to Christ that it was everything about him the foundation of who he was and his ministry rooted from that very thing that Paul a slave a bond servant of Christ Jesus the Messiah and so which one are you you consider yourself a slave to Christ? When you look at your life, who's ultimately in charge? It'd be an easy way to think of it. When you look at the foundation, you look at where you gain your value and your purpose, your identity, your hope, your strength, your comfort, is it built on the foundation of that Christ is everything and you gain nothing from yourself? Or do you just kind of add him as one of those characteristics? Like, I've got comfort and security, and hope, oh, I'm a Christian. And you just kind of add that in. And your foundation's really built on you. Because if it's on you, then eventually it'll crumble. And so Paul, he was a slave to Christ. We need to see that, that it was him and everything, that he was completely, ultimately sold out without reservation, he would go. And if you've studied his life, the dude had a rough life, right? If you've studied what happened, he doesn't brag about it all the time. He lists all the stuff that happens. The only way that you can see that someone would do that if they were considered themselves a slave to Christ, right? Eventually, if he would have been just a servant, he would have got tired of it, right? He Eventually, would have been like, man, enough of this. I'm just going to go kind of hide up in the mountains and so no one see me, and I'm done. Just be a little hermit up there. But he wasn't. No, he kept pushing forward. Why? Because he was a slave to Christ. He'd been called out of that. And that's the next thing that we need to look at, this fact that he was set apart. If you keep reading in verse 1, it says, Paul, a slave or a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So he's called there. We need to look at that aspect of calling because the calling is what set him apart. And then we catch that again in verse 7 when he talks about the people in Rome that they too called. But first, we want to look at this idea of calling. And really, there's three different callings that we see in Scripture as we look at what's happening. The first is just a general call to repent. And, and a good way to see that is if we're just preaching the gospel, the gospel itself is just a general call to repent because the gospel starts with, with we're all sinners in need of grace, right? And so it's a general call. If we're all sinners and we need something, it's a general call to repent, okay? But if you've ever been to that, if you've ever known anyone, you're telling them the gospel, you're preaching the gospel, there's a good chance that someone's not responded, right? There's a, they, they hear it, they understand that, and they're turned off, they go, and for some reason they don't respond to that, and that leads us to the next type of calling we see, and it's the effectual call, or effective call, and what that is, is it's something that goes past merely hearing, and then by an act of God, the, it, it hits their heart, It hits their heart. It's effective in calling for that repentance, right? We're we're commanded to repent, in in a general sense, God commands people to repent. It's Acts 17, but then the effectual actually comes into your heart. It's an act of God. The Spirit actually creates in you the desire and the ability to actually do so. It's an effective call. But we also see a third call, and we'll get into those a lot deeper later, these are things that are going to be brought up, so we're kind of hitting them now, and we'll, we'll, we'll dive deeper into those as we go through them. You can't get away from it. Not that we would try to run, but you just can't. So the, the third calling is what we see here, and that's a the, the, the calling of just like vocation. This is who you were, what you did. Is this vocational calling, and that's what Paul has in mind here, that he's called to be an apostle, his vocation. He was called to be an apostle. He's going to go. He was sent. He was set apart for that purpose, and that's what Paul has in mind, but that's really better understood in a different time, really, because right now, if we're, if we're honest, doing everything for God's kind of lost its significance in the culture that we have, Right? You, if you go back to like even the Reformation period, and you get into all of that, that, that they truly understood everything that you did, you did for the glory of God. That's solo, soli deo gloria, right? One of the solas of the Reformation, and we've kind of lost that, but we have to come back to this idea that we've been called, and that's what Paul's saying, I'm called to be an apostle. There's nothing else that he could have done. He was set apart from this. And when we look at his vocation as an apostle, what he's doing there is he's put himself on the same level as everyone else as far as who he is in Christ. And now he's saying, this is why I have authority. This is why you should listen to me. I'm, I'm a servant, I'm sold out, but I also have authority because I was called by Christ to be an apostle. And apostle is what set him apart. Because to be an apostle, you had to, to be a witness, an eyewitness of Christ. Well, Paul never met Christ So we've got an immediate problem there until you look at his conversion where he says that not only did he hear a voice, but he saw Christ. He says that, 1 Corinthians 9. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? So he he was called by Christ, a personal calling to be an apostle. He was a witness. He saw the resurrection, and you see that in the way that he writes. It's the resurrection that gives the power, right, to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. He saw Christ. He sees him. And then ultimately, it was that he was acknowledged by the 12, right? That actually eyewitnesses, physical eyewitnesses prior to the resurrection that knew him. We see that when we talk about um, the Jerusalem council and all that, that he, he went to him, them, and they affirmed his calling as an apostle. And so what he's doing here is he's saying that he's been set apart as an apostle. But the tendency then is to stop there in our lives and not think that it goes to anyone else, right? The tendency is, okay, that's great for him. Now, what am I supposed to do? And we've, we've done a bad job of that in church, and if, if we're honest, because we've gotten into this idea that it's the vocational pastors that are called and everyone else is just here. And that's not at all what we see. And you actually see this here when he says, those who, in verse six, really, those who are, Called to belong to Christ Jesus, so you're called into Christ Jesus. You could say that's pointing to effectual call. If you wanted to, in verse seven, to those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, called to be saints. And notice, saints is plural. He's talking about everyone there. It's all people that are called to be saints. Those are in Christ. We're called, and we all have that same vocational calling. We're all to do that. And you've heard me talk about the story of Martin Luther talking to the shoemaker. And there's various versions of that one. A, a one Luther's quoted as saying that you should not put little crosses on your shoes, but just make good ones, right? And so it's that idea that everything that we should do should be for his glory. But what we need to realize in that, and what, this is where it brings it to ourselves, is that if we're called, that calling requires obedience. The calling requires. if you're gonna be called, you have to be obedient to that calling. If someone's gonna call you to do something and you don't do it, were you really called? Did it really have an effect? And for Paul, it did. And so when we look at that in our life, we need to realize that that we have to have obeyed the divine calling to be called, and we've done that. Again, Leon Morris says that, that we should note that for Paul, the idea of call includes the notion of response. The called are those who have not only heard, but have obeyed the divine call. And so it's not just good to hear God's call in your life. You have to obey that call for it to actually take effect for it to to work there's a change in your life that caused you to obey it's not just say oh well i'm called that's great and you just keep going on no it affects your life because there's an obedience in there and that's why it's amazing and great for us to remember that he wasn't just called to be an apostle but he adds that calling then on everyone else those were called to be saints we're called by Christ into his life. We're set apart for his purpose. And, and probably the easiest way to remember that is, is to, to look at Because when we think set apart, if you think separate, I think of school, right? I think of school and, and people separate themselves and they kind of get in their little cliques. It was easier when I taught high school because they just naturally do that, right? And it's all the people that don't want to be accepted or accepted by each other. And then it's this weird irony of high school that you're accepted by people that don't want to be accepted. So you're really accepted. Anyway, Sorry. It's just weird, right? But we all, set apart's a negative thing, right? When we look at the way people, we set apart ourselves, and it's always based on a negative aspect. Like, I don't want that part. I don't want to be associated with that. And so we segment, and when we look at our lives, we see separation. It's always a negative aspect. And so at times, we look at this fact that Paul says that he's been set apart, that, that we're called, that we're set apart by our calling, that all the saints, that we look at that, and it's a, we're set apart from something, we and we naturally put this as a negative aspect. And that's why you've had a history of Christians setting apart themselves from society and completely withdrawing from it. That we're set apart from the things of the world. That we're supposed to be different. And while that's true, we're not supposed to partake in the things of the world. Our, our desires should be there. This isn't a set apart from something as much as it's a set apart to God. It's not a set-apart withdrawal, don't engage in anything, but it's you're set-apart to God for his purpose, to bring glory to his name, to expand his kingdom. It's a positive set-apart. It's not a negative separation from, it's a positive separate to God. And when we look at that, we can see that our foundation can be resting on Christ alone because we're set-apart to his calling on our life. And then it applies to any situation that we're in. Whether you stay at home and raise children, or you teach, or you're a soldier, every aspect then is you're set apart to God to bring glory to His name in whatever avenue of life He's placed you in, at whatever period of life that He's placed you in, that you find yourself in. That's so why I said last week, you don't retire from Christianity. It just affects your life in a different way at a different time because you're set apart to God. You're not withdrawn from anything. No, you're called to Him. You're set apart for His purpose because He's called it. And so then everything that you do, you can do to bring glory to His name. To bring an expansion to His kingdom by the proclamation of His gospel in relationships that each one of you have that some of us could never have, you have. There are people that that deal with broken, hurt people all the time. And what an amazing thing that those people just come to them by the nature of their work, what a great thing to point to the only hope that we have is in Christ. And if we somehow think that we're not called to that, then we're going to miss all those opportunities. We, can't, we cannot doubt our calling to bring glory to God through everything that we do. That doesn't mean you have to be that, that hyper-crazy Christian person that is just everything over the top. Like At some point, you just got to stop that and just chill out a little bit and just be a normal person right? Because there's people that have had that, and their experience with those people are completely, noticed. and if we're honest, you don't even want to be around those people either, do you? Right? But, but there's this idea that everything that we have can be a gospel moment if we apply it in a certain way, and we're just normal people, right? We have to realize that we've been set apart too, just as Paul's saying, I was called as an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. He was set apart to proclaim the gospel to all the nations, and that's what he did. If we look at all of his writing, and we have a large collection to go by, that's what he did. He preached the gospel. He went. He was set apart for the gospel. And so what does God set you apart for in your life? Where can you bring glory to God in your life, through your vocation, through what you're doing, because you've been called to him for his purposes to expand his kingdom and bring glory to his name among the nations? And then ultimately realize that Paul can do that because he was settled Right? He, was, he was committed. He understood what was happening, understood his message very well. Um, I posted this on Facebook earlier this week. but I, just, I keep going back to this quote after I read it. It's from James Montgomery Boyce. He said that Paul was in love with Jesus Christ, and it was his love for Christ that alone explains the nature and rigor of his life's work. I just love that. I, like, I, want, I want to make that into a sign so I can read it all the time. Right, that's that's something that you put up so you realize. And and ask yourself, is your love for Christ so much so that it determines everything else? And what Boyce is saying is that that with amazing doctrine and theology that that, that Paul taught, everything else that he did was rooted in the fact that he was absolutely captivated by Christ Jesus. Could the same be said for you? Could the same be said that everything that you do it was because you were captivated by Jesus Christ. That you loved him so much that everything else, you couldn't help but do what he's called you to do. And we see that Paul was completely sold out for that. He was a servant, he was a slave for Christ Jesus. And then it completely affected everything else of his message. And we look at all of this stuff and what our, my goal is as we spend all this time in Romans that we never lose sight of the fact that Christ permeates Paul's theology. That every aspect of what Paul teaches is just saturated with Christ. And we see that from the beginning, right? I, I'm, I'm not a good writer. If you've known me, I've probably said that to you. I don't like to write. I, I, I write like I talk, which is not good for grammar, apparently. I guess it's all right for listening, but it's really, it drives Lindsay in crazy. Because I'll write something and she's like, Did you read that? And I'm like, Yeah, it sounded fine. And she's like, because I, sound, I say it in my mind, right? I'm like, Oh, wait. So it, it's, there's, a little, there's always some give and take in that, that part of our relationship when I write, and she has to read it, and she's like, go do it again. I feel like I'm back in English class. Like, That's what Miss Hobson used to tell me, right? And I thought she was crazy, but Lindsay's not crazy, so maybe she's on to something. So, but, but everything that Paul does, from the very beginning... He can't help it. He's so captivated by Christ that the very beginning, his greeting, he's saying, here's what I'm called to, the gospel, and then he gives us this list of everything that the gospel is based on who Christ is. It's it's crazy to think about. The first one, look at verse one, right? Set apart to the gospel of God. So this gospel that he was, it's from God. It's, It's his, it's from God. It's not from Paul, it's not from humanity. It's from God. He's been set apart for the gospel of God. It's not his message, it's not humanity's message, this is God's message, and he was settled on it because of who it was rooted in Christ. And not only was it God's message, but that takes it back to the fact that it was old, right? Look at verse two, when he promised beforehand, It's an old message and that's why we wanted to go all the way back to Abraham and we see this idea that God's been doing the same thing. He's had the same plan from the very beginning. Even go back prior to Abraham in Genesis 3 when he says there's going to be someone come that he will strike his heel but he would bruise the serpent's head. And then look at Christ Jesus, the fulfillment of that That it's not a new message. This is beforehand. You you get that in Ephesians 1 when you read the the one long sentence of Ephesians 1. And and really this greeting, I didn't say it. These first sentences, these first seven verses are just one long Greek sentence. Paul has a tendency to do that, which kind of makes me happy, but I'm probably figuring out that he had good grammar, even though he could write a long sentence, right? but, But it was an old gospel he promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Spirit. So beforehand, so he's saying now, here you people in Rome, you're doing this. This is what's happened. This is an old gospel. It was beforehand to the Holy Scripture. He's referencing the Old Testament. He's going back to the beginning. It's an old gospel. This is not something new. And then in verse three and four, we see this Christ-centered aspect of his gospel concerning his son. So the whole gospel beforehand, Holy Scripture was one thing. It concerned his son Who what? Descended from David according to the flesh. There's the humanity side of Jesus. Who descended from David, from the flesh, but then he continues in verse four and says, it was declared to be the son and was declared to be the son of God and the power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Now we have the divinity side, right? He was flesh, descended from David. He was God because he declared to be the son of God by the power of the spirit. And so, everything about this gospel is saturated by Christ. And what's interesting how he finishes that verse is something, there's going to be times I say you need to underline this. Underline Jesus Christ our Lord. Because what you see in verse 3 and 4, Jesus Christ our Lord is a summary of those two verses. Jesus, humanity, descendant of David. Christ, the Son of God by the power of the Spirit, our Lord, the whole point of the gospel. We see this amazing declaration that Jesus Christ our Lord. And just by that title alone, he demands our obedient submission to his calling. But he doesn't stop there. It's not just Christ-centered. Then we get to five, and we see why it demands. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about what? The obedience of faith for the sake of his name. So our obedient faith that's permeating through this gospel centered on Christ is to have our obedient faith for what? The sake of his name. It's It's very similar to me of Psalms 23 when he leads us by still waters and green pastures for his name's sake. Everything he does in our life is his name's sake. Our obedience to him is for his name. And Jesus Christ our Lord requires obedience for his sake, not to point of ourselves. And then we see it goes further through whom we have received grace and apostleship, bring about the obedience of faith for his sake among all the nations. So then it's a gospel for all people. So the ultimate proclamation of the gospel that's permeated in Christ, that's from the beginning, is to bring glory for his namesake through the obedient faith of his followers amongst all the nations. And then we fast forward to Revelation of the end and Jesus has people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. It's for all people. It's for everyone. If you want to take this into context here, it's for the Jews and the Gentiles of the Rome, Roman church. If we want to bring it to us, it's for all those people once they're brought into submission to Christ. It doesn't mean that everyone's included. It's everyone included in Christ through submission to him. And then ultimately, if we keep reading in verse five, among his all things, we realize that it's his namesake because it's all for the glory of God. And so what we have to do when we look at ourselves and we look at this gospel that Paul just gives us in the introduction, like I th- I, we could just stop there and, and get the rest of it, right? And it's a little scary when you get deep in, in f- the first greeting to realize where he goes from there, right? Like what else can he go to, right? It's pretty good. Like he could have just sent it in a text message versus the whole long thing. But we have to remember that it's his name, it's his glory. Everything points to his kingdom. This has nothing to do with us as far as we're getting the glory. And that's what's amazing about, a, about being settled on this message that is completely saturated with Christ is because it doesn't matter because we can point to him. And everything else that we'll find through this amazing letter to this church in Rome was that Christ permeates everything. that He's constantly drawn back to that at the center of it there's a, a church, it's St. Helens of Bishopsgate, I believe. I got it in the notes. I forgot the, the place. It's a church in, in England that, that puts out Bible studies every now and then. And they wrote, and, and part of this was that the, one of the greatest errors, one of our greatest errors, is to place ourselves at the heart of the gospel we preach. I think that's what we see in this greeting, is that Paul is refusing to place himself at the center of this message that he's preaching. He's refusing to say, I'm this educated, well-taught person. I'm a slave. At every chance that he has to proclaim who he is, he submits himself to Christ. And so as we move through this series, as we move through our lives each day, we have to be aware that so often we're drawn to place ourselves at the middle of a message where Christ actually belongs. And so I pray that we would be a place that puts Christ in the center of everything not just to say that we did not just to feel good about ourselves but because we're truly captivated by who he is and what he's done for us because when we do that and we're settled on that message there's a consistency there that people can't break down we're propelled to then love people as we've been loved we see our neighbors differently than we normally did The, all, the end of everything we just need to constantly as challenge you this week, read that, read verses two through five every day just let that saturate your mind of how much this gospel that Paul proclaimed that we so readily know was saturated by Christ that everything about it was pointing to him it's for his name, it's for his glory among all the people and then ask yourself are you okay that he gets the glory and you don't because if that, that right there will determine where your foundation is. That if you're not okay with it all being for his namesake, then the foundation that you're building your identity, your hope, your purpose, your value, your comfort, your security, all those things is not on Christ. It's on yourself. And so allow yourself to be settled that it's in Christ alone that we have everything, that we've gained everything, that we pursue his glory for his kingdom to expand. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that as we look at your truth, God, I just pray that our word would be, that that your word, God, would just captivate our hearts, God, that we would so continually remind ourselves of your son and what he has done for us. God, the gift that you've given. God, that when we proclaim your gospel, I pray that we remember that we are not the center of that message. God, that we are submissive, that we're set apart to you for your purposes to expand your kingdom, to bring glory to your name. God, I just pray that that as a a body of believers here, God, as a a church, a, a representation of your body, we'd be marked by a complete and total submission to your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.